Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Coffee, Cows, and Crops. Today I'm chatting with Jay Beyer, a soil conservation analyst from Gateway Research Organization in Westlock. And today we're going to chat a bit about a project Jay has been working on that looks at managing marginal land adaptively. Uh, but before we get into all the fun stuff, Jay, would you like to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about how you got into soil conservation? You bet. Thank you. And uh, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to have a chat with you. I am a soil conservation analyst with Gateway Research Organization. I've been around the block a few times with a variety of, of different uh, positions and projects and stuff. Some government, some research oriented, all those sorts of things. But uh, a couple of years ago, Sandy with uh, Gateway Research Organization put out a call for people interested in doing some soil conservation work and adaptive management of these uh, marginal lands, particularly. Um, that sounded very interesting. So uh, I uh, got on with him and we've been doing all sorts of interesting stuff for adaptive management of marginal land. And uh, things have taken some twists and turns that weren't expected originally, but nonetheless, it's still a very interesting group of uh, observations that, uh, that Gateway Research is, is working on right now. Right on. So the last time we talked about this project was back in 2020 when it was just getting started. So can you give me just a quick overview, I guess, of the the reason you started doing the project um, for the people who, who haven't uh, listened to that episode in a while? Yeah, it's been a while, probably close to two years since we've uh, had a chance to chat. And the original premise of the project was to have a look at perhaps one uh, farm unit and really focus in on having them do adaptive management on the entire farm, uh, doing a complete switchover from rather traditional farming to uh, completely change over the farm and look at uh, uh, perhaps changing less productive areas into pasture or hayland or that sort of a thing. Any any uh, water runs, perhaps uh, uh, start working them into riparian areas, that sort of a thing, and, and uh, minimize any inputs that uh, come from outside of the farm, all those sorts of things. It uh, proved to be a pretty big ask for somebody to drop absolutely everything that they were originally doing and uh, become uh, completely regenerative, if you will, or, or whatever term you want to use, and uh, completely change things over. So uh, we we're looking at doing that and doing some economic returns on it. A couple of, of things came up as we were working on the project. First of all, to do a true economic analysis on that sort of a project, fairly detailed, a lot of information required. Also, not necessarily the easiest thing to do, uh, given environmental conditions and that sort of a thing. Was it the, the weather or was it the, uh, the changeover in economics that we were looking at? But also, yeah, it was just a, a huge ask to a huge risk for people to uh, to just jump into it with both feet and probably wasn't the most logical thing for us to ask people. 
in addition, when we started doing some economic analysis on different qualities of land, we, we did take some uh, areas that, you know, we, we looked at the soil types and compared them to the, uh, the yield monitors on the crops that they were getting off to compare whether or not the marginal land being farmed similarly to uh, the less marginal land really had that much less of a, of a yield. And it turned out that uh, there was so much more of the management involved in ensuring that uh, class four, old classes four and, and five and, and beyond produced as much or near as much as the class two and three that we have so much of in, in the Westlock area. So, so looking at that, we thought, well, perhaps we should deal with uh, some of the management issues uh, and try and uh, encourage people to try regenerative projects and uh, not necessarily expect someone to switch their entire farm over. So those are the sort of learnings that we had from the first year of the project. Um, and so since then, we've been looking at individual projects to, uh, to minimize greenhouse gases, try and uh, make sure that marginal land uh, was maintaining or perhaps improving its quality and to uh, continue on with individual projects with a wider group of people instead of just one test farm sort of a thing. So, so that's what we ended up doing, trying a whole bunch of variety of projects with whether it's compost or different crops, um, whatever it takes to, uh, to deal with that and to see if we can find ways of uh, actually determining the uh, emissions from uh, some of the, the work that we've been doing. And so we've been working with a variety of people from the universities to other research associations to individual farmers to see if we can't uh, come up with some uh, answers on greenhouse gas mitigation, carbon sequestration, and maximizing the, the improvement in the quality of marginal land. Awesome. So you mentioned a couple of different methods that you've been looking at, and I read through your summary that you sent me, and you've got some really interesting things on that list. So can you talk a little bit about the different sorts of management that you're testing out in these fields? Yeah, there's some pretty simple projects that we've, uh, that we've taken on. We've uh, long since heard, and, and it's been shown in, in the labs that, uh, and hydrous ammonia, for example, people say, oh, that kills your soil and it kills all the microbiota in the soil. Uh, and uh, certainly the, 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 the replicated research in lab shows that there is a reduction in the quality and quantity of uh, soil biota, whether it's nematodes or, or fungi or all of this in, in, in lab situations in the short term. Uh, we said, okay, that's that's all well and good, that's great, but applying anhydrous ammonia is a very common practice in this neck of the woods. Let's see how that plays out longer term in the fields. So we did set up a project to uh, compare fields that had anhydrous ammonia applied on them on a regular basis to a project uh, to a neighboring field that has never had anhydrous on there, and to compare the the soil quality, particularly the uh, the soil microbiota. And uh, we found that if anything, uh, in the long term, because the crops are healthier and seem to be doing well, they're producing more nutrients and uh, and a better environment for the microbiota to survive. So if any, applying anhydrous to the field uh, improved the quality and quantity of soil microbes that are, are out there. So that was one small thing just to say that, you know, we don't necessarily need to 
change our farming practices, just making sure that we rotate our crops, uh, occasionally apply uh, anhydrous, those sorts of things made it very, uh, very uh, encouraging for people who, who are trying to uh, do the right thing on their, their soil and, uh, and still come up with the uh, economic crops. So that was one of the very small things that we, we looked at. Uh, on the perhaps hay and livestock side, we've been looking at bale grazing and seeing if we can mm -hmm. um, find changes in the soil microbiota with uh, with bale grazing on an intensive basis. And we found some very interesting things. It's a little early to, to say a whole lot right now, but as it stands so far, um, there's been some very interesting uh, changes and improvements to, uh, to pasture soils uh, as a result of uh, intensive bale grazing over the winter on those on those fields. So that's quite exciting. Yeah. And not only uh, working with pastures and applying some of the uh, organic or whatever you'd like to call them, non-traditional fertility additions to the soils. We've got our heifer pasture out northeast of here that we've done some cage studies on where we replicated um, the addition of different quantities of different um, nutrients and soil enhancers, whether it's biochar or wood ash or uh, humate, that sort of a thing. Uh, again, really early, early days yet on that uh, test, but uh, it looks like a moderate application of some of the soil enhancements uh, is a good thing for, for the field. Uh, very small replicated results. And like I say, a little early to, to say for sure yet, but uh, it's it's very promising that, that 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 sort of thing is happening. We've taken those nutrients as well, those soil amendments as well, onto cropland, and we uh, put humates and sugar beet lime, the uh, the lime that's left over from the process of sugar manufacture, um, agricultural lime as well, uh, compost, all those sorts of things, and. Uh, that project is in its second year, the results of the second year with uh, uh, wheat on it this year um, haven't been analyzed yet, but it's uh, looking quite promising from the first year that, that some of these uh, soil amendments, soil additions are both helping the soil as well as the biota and the, uh, the, the yield as well. So that's exciting. Um, we've been working with Dr. Derek McKenzie at the University of Alberta on a very large scale, one year, but three site projects. So uh, the replicated data from each of the sites in Westlock, Potasquin and Camrose are being analyzed to see if um, adding compost or some blend of compost and fertilizer or uh, throwing in some of the limes and other soil amendments as well are helping to improve the short term and, and perhaps longer term uh, yield and quality of the soil. In addition with that project, we're able to, um, thank goodness, uh, Derek has been able to uh, procure uh, a sufficient number of um, gas chambers and greenhouse gas detectors to see what sort of greenhouse gas is emerging from those sorts of uh, applications. They were broadcast applications um, and then worked in perhaps a little bit uh, when they were seeded over. Um, and we uh, see some positive results from different uh, combinations of compost and fertilizers or those sorts of things to 
come up with a, a common sense way of, of managing greenhouse gases and uh, maintaining yield without having to add in a tremendous amount of fertilizer. I could go on and on. Those are a few of the <laughs> interesting things. Uh, there's uh, another pasture <laughs> trial that we're doing on the same heifer pasture, but um, with the with the existing trials that we're doing there, we have a couple of rotational grazing situations uh, with a conventionally grazed paddock and then a, a very intensively grazed mob grazing yeah. paddock. And we're looking at the uh, changes to the soil uh, microbes over time with those various types of uh, grazing regimes on them. So that's uh, very interesting to us as well. The rotational grazing seems to uh, be coming out ahead on uh, improvements or at least highest quality of the and quantity of soil microbes. More research and, and uh, work is being done on that and we're getting second year's worth of results there. We'll see how those turn out. So, so lots and lots of fun stuff, good stuff. Um, hopefully, while our project took a bit of a left turn from the initial premise, we're getting a lot of uh, good results from what people can do in a very practical sense to minimize greenhouse gases and uh, improve the uh, quality of marginal soils. Right on. Lots of different stuff going on, but that's really cool. Those are just the tip of the iceberg. We've got all sorts of stuff with, with different crops um, in, uh, in annual cropping field. Uh, lots of lots of good information for coming out of this this whole project. Yeah. So so we're quite excited with with that. Yeah, I bet. Do you have any um, what you would qualify as like standout successes so far, or is it too early to tell? We're we're a cautious bunch here at Grow. We love to say that we've got we've got answers um, for all sorts of things. Uh, we were quite excited with our. Uh, uh, intercropping trial where we put legumes with broadleaf crops. The first year we had a, a bit of a bit of a wreck with uh, soil selection being kind of tough and a very very dry year, so that kind of kiboshed the results off of that. So we changed it up a little bit, ensuring that we got a little innovative with some of the pulses that we've tried uh, in the project, and uh, we had some incredible growth this year. We had some adequate moisture, at least in the early in the season, and uh, the combinations. We were hoping to go with 60% of a seeding rate of a pulse compared to 60% of a seeding rate with a, a broadleaf crop, and uh, see if we can end up with something known as overyielding, where yeah, 60% plus 60% does equal 120%, so you end up with 120% of a crop. Um, didn't exactly turn out that way, but we had some uh, some pretty awesome yields, and uh, the net economic returns were were pretty outstanding as well. Partially due to the fact that there were some crops, such as the mustards this year, that that were in short supply elsewhere, and so the price of uh, of mustards turned out uh, quite nicely. So the uh, gross return was over two two thousand dollars an acre. If we could do that our acres that would be very exciting uh, on the replicated uh, plots of uh, the yellow mustard particularly we were quite quite amazed quite pleased with the results that we were getting and uh, you know with uh, the potential for longer hotter drier years perhaps in the future uh, a dry season crop like mustard longer season than than, than the average of what we've got here might uh, be quite appealing to people. So 
some of our uh, crops that we had in there, whether it was the mustards or or flax, which people are usually saying that's the last crop to come off in any given year in uh, in the Westlock area. Um, all of them did quite well. Um, the jury is still out, though. We're still trying to do some uh, some more analysis to see if there actually was uh, the overyielding thing wasn't quite uh, what we what we thought it would be this year. But um, the other uh, reason that you do intercropping with legumes or with with uh, with pulse crops is to see if you can have some nitrogen leakage. Uh, the the pulse crops are all nitrogen fixers, and we're hopeful to see that. Uh, uh, or, or hopeful for the possibility of them leaking some nutrients into um, some of the non-legume, uh, non-pulse uh, crops. If the uh, um, yields turned out quite nice, and there was uh, with a minimum amount of nitrogen, uh, 15 pounds an, an acre is all that we applied, but we did have it on on a pulse uh, residue, pulse uh, crop in 2021. Um, so. We're trying to ferret out whether there was some leakage of the nitrogen from the crops in the current year versus whether it was strictly the the nitrogen from the uh, built up amount from the nodulation from the previous year that did the work. But um, regardless, that was a very interesting thing for us. The mustards did extremely well. We tried some uh, new crops for the area called lupins, uh, the blue lupins, which are supposed to reliably mature in uh, in the season that we've got here uh, did quite well um, but because it was a long dry hot summer uh, the white lupins which people tell us aren't supposed to reliably mature in this neck of the woods actually did extremely well they yielded a tremendous amount um, both types of lupins the white and the blue stood up very straight so um, one of the kicks that we often hear about legume crops is that they lay so flat you can't pick them up. And we did see that in, in uh, the lentils that we put in, but uh, the lupins stood extremely well. The only downside of the, the blue lupins that we saw was that they uh, have very fragile pods. And so about 72 hours uh, between maturity and when shelling starts. So we lost... Uh, we estimated about seven bushels an acre due to due to shelling, but uh, uh, given the current prices that we found, um, we were still looking at eight or nine hundred dollars an acre gross returns off of those fields with or those uh, those plots anyway. And we realized that small plots sometimes uh, have a high yield on their own, but uh, we certainly see that uh, some of these innovative crops, especially in the face of hotter, drier years would be uh, definitely worth a, a risk mitigation type of a, a plot to or a field to to have producers uh, take a chance on and hopefully do at least as well as as some of the other crops and so so we have fun with those sorts of things and uh, yeah, everybody was quite impressed with the, with the yields that we saw off of those so um, those work well on marginal fields as well because they provide their own end the land that we were on uh, is a class four and uh yeah we were getting uh you know between four and, and two thousand dollars uh gross an acre off of them so we were we were pretty pleased that we can see some uh ways to improve the soil 
as well as provide a decent return for producers with uh, with some of these newer crops that we're taking the risk on so producers you know at least have their risks mitigated a little bit there absolutely oh and real quick could you um just define some of the classes of soil it's been a while since i took that class in college <laughs> <laughs> as it has been for a lot of us um, the soil classes range from a, a class one to a class seven now the class one being the ideal soil, probably you know, two feet deep of black topsoil, all the way down to a class seven, which is generally regarded as not conducive to traditional agriculture. And then there's a used to be a class O as well for organic soils, which were generally peat moss or those sorts of things that uh, have particular issues, particular problems with uh, with drying out very rapidly, and not always uh, the best in the nutrient category. That was the traditional uh, CLI, Canada Land Inventory rating. When they switched over to the LSRS, the Land Suitability Rating System, they took the soil capabilities, soil qualities, and threw in some of the environmental and topography pieces with those as well. So that um, nowadays we can look at the LSRS system, a little bit broader of a system that, uh, that they identify but uh, it, it takes the whole broad picture into it, whether uh, there are certain areas that are hilly or stony or whether they tend to be in an area that freezes quite easily compared to others. Um, they take both the environment and the uh, uh, soil positioning as well into consideration with the LSRS system, but still gone from a one to a, to a seven um, with the seven, uh, the classes four, five, six, and seven being land that we're particularly interested in uh, areas that are generally not um, considered ideal for uh, annual cropping. Right, that makes sense. The other one I wanted to talk uh, about, since you've mentioned it a little bit, we had a very, very dry year last year, and then this year we had a lot of moisture and then no moisture and then too hot, and then some people got good moisture at the end of the year and some people didn't. <laughs> so um, have you noticed any interesting things with the different management things you've tried over the fluctuating rainfall and that sort of stuff? Right, right. We're looking at some of the uh, the composts and humates and, and biochars and those sorts of things as a soil moisture protectant as well. Whether we can uh, hope that and, and expect that they uh, protect the moisture and, and help it to uh, not be evaporated quite so quickly. And certainly with, with some of the higher organic matter additions that we put in, that that seems to be the case, that they are able to hold their moisture in a little bit better than some of the, the traditional, more mineralized soils. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to con continuing our research on that to, to see that they are providing additional benefits than just the nutrients themselves to help the crops finish off. And they sure seem to be doing that, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's the, uh, like I say, the humates, the biochars, the, the compost that we've been adding, they seem to uh, provide additional benefits than just the nutrients themselves and the organic matter themselves. So with, with these years, yeah, it's good. And also seeing that, you know, some crops can, can handle uh, dry conditions towards the fall. In fact, it, it helps them to uh, mature and and, uh, and ripen on a timely basis. The lupins, being from Australia or being grown extensively in Australia, they're a crop that seems to be able to to manage their way through 
through dry conditions, uh, particularly late in the season, a whole lot better than some of the others. Um, we were surprised with how well um, some of our hemp uh, work turned out, some of our varieties. We just had a few. We tried uh, one that's traditionally considered a seed variety uh, compared to one that's uh, considered perhaps more of a dual purpose variety. Uh, didn't matter actually this year as to uh, uh, what type we were looking at. They both did really quite well. Um, but also, if you're looking for a dual purpose variety, some of the dual purposes, uh, one of the dual purposes anyway that we tried, um, worked quite well and produced a, an economic yield on the, the seed alone. Um, we didn't uh, do a whole lot of additional work on the second yield, if you will, where the, the, uh, the, the, the fiber off of that, but certainly uh, there, there was a sufficient amount of uh, growth. They were over six, seven feet tall, manageable, but not so tall that that, uh, that they were awkward to uh, to harvest as a second harvest in the uh, in the fiber side of things. So so very encouraging in that regard as well. Awesome. Yeah, kind of fun. <laughs> uh, oh right. So the other one I wanted to talk about a little bit was the economic side of thing because that's the big thing with marginal land is that it's expensive to run sometimes. <laughs> For sure. So we're looking at uh, some of our projects with regards to adding nitrogen downstream if if uh, the year looks like it's going to be good, particularly on these marginal soils. So we tried two approaches there. There's a, a foliar nitrogen that you can add if conditions look good and you think you're going to be able to improve the yield and the uh, uh, protein in certain crops. So we did that and uh, looked okay um, uh, with uh, some of the added uh, foliar nitrogen that we put on. Uh, we didn't have a negative impact on the yield and the quality was, if anything, better. So those were good. The other aspect that I'm sure producers are hearing a lot about is with regards to foliar nitrogen fixing bacteria applied to the crops uh, down the road. And we did exactly that with one particular bacteria. And uh, the positive result from that that we were hoping for and expected was that if we reduce the uh, nitrogen addition by 15% and then threw on the uh, nitrogen fixing bacteria, uh, that if the yield stayed the same, that's an economic win for us. That would be a way of using less, uh, less fossil fuels less nitrogen production, less fertilizer production, and still maintaining the yield and the nitrogen in the soil. We're still waiting for some of the final pieces to that puzzle, um, whether we actually maintain the nitrogen in the soil, the same as if you just added fertilizer, but the yields did not suffer when we used uh, a 50% less nitrogen fertilizer and put in some of these uh, um, and fixing bacteria. So, so that's helping out on the economic piece. We uh, have observed producers who, with their yield monitors, have uh, started right from square one. They, they know where their poor soils are and they might um, reduce the NO added to those sorts of fields, and then doing economic returns on them when the, with their yield monitors in the end and finding out that uh, producers are very, they've been doing it all along, really, but it's intuitive that um, with the reduction in, in N uh, with a variable rate fertilizer application, 
and the uh, reduced expectations, the managed expectations of yield on these class four, five, six, and seven soils, um, they are still able to maintain an adequate return um, without wasting too much nitrogen on, on these fields that uh, just aren't going to produce as much as the class one, two, threes. So those sorts of things have been very cool. It's a good learning on that, and we're continuing to learn on those sorts of things. Fantastic. Yeah. Right on. Well, I think that's, oh, the only other one was, um, you have mentioned soil health and qual soil quality improvement and that sort of stuff. So um, can you tell me a little bit about how, how you're measuring that stuff? You bet. There's some, some good labs out there that are able to um, tell us what is happening with the uh, with the soil microbes, they're they're very important for for growth and uh, production on on all kinds of fields. So um, we send the soil samples away to uh, to the various labs, whether it's a Care Soil Health Lab or or others uh, that are out there, um, and have them have a good hard look at the, the nutrients and the and the microbes that are in the soil um, to see what changes are happening over time. So whether it's the fungi that'll help to break down the uh, the organic matter in the in, in the, the the fields, or bacteria that help to build up the soil, or actinomycetes that help with the breakdown process as well. All of those are looked at uh, through uh, a variety of of labs that we we go to, and uh, they tell us whether the soil is healthy or 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 less healthy. Um, by the uh, the quantity and quality of the good bugs, if you will, versus the bad bugs that are that are in a soil, and uh, we've been been, been very uh, happy, and we've had quite some learnings going on on how these uh, various bacteria and fungi and whatnot um, change over time with various crops and, and various management strategies, whether it's um, intercropping or, or or relay cropping or or trying to keep uh, living roots in the soil for as, as long as possible in the year with some some late fall seeding of, of a winter crop then breaking that up and going into another annual crop um, lots of different ideas that that are coming to mind to help maintain the quality of the uh, microbes in the soil right on so the project is it was initially a three-year project uh, we may uh, because of all of the the good learnings that we're we're finding and the variety of of innovative things that we're finding through the uh, through the work. This may carry on for some time longer. There's never a shortage of things to <laughs> to learn as time goes on with uh, with the soil. It's a fascinating uh, area, and uh, we have some uh, ability to to carry on these sorts of results. And hopefully, they will apply to a good portion of the province, or not perhaps not all of them, not not the whole province, but a good portion of the area. And even those areas that are not quite as similar to ours as we might be able to, to directly apply these principles to, they might be able to take some learnings from them as well themselves and, and adapt what we're learning, what we're doing here to, uh, to soils that are not quite the same as ours. For sure. That's awesome. So for people who are listening and are uh, very excited about all of this information, um, where can people go to find more information about this project or uh, just grow generally and uh, the work that you guys are doing? You betcha. We do have a, a Facebook page that they can go to. Um, we have a website 
that people can go on. And there's always the old fashioned telephone that people can give us a shout and we can discuss more of our information with that. Uh, we do put out an annual report as well, much of which is going to be put on the, the website this year um, with a lot of the, uh, the background on this report and, uh, and some of the ideas of what we're going to be doing going forward. So um, lots of opportunity there to uh, catch up on perhaps more of the details of what we're doing. And hopefully, who knows, they might come up with some ideas that we haven't thought of yet. And we'd love to hear from folks that, uh, that might have more, uh, more ideas as well. Right on. That's awesome. Uh, is there anything we've missed or anything that you'd uh, like to mention before we, we sign off? Gosh, I don't think so. I think we've, we've covered the water right there. It's been, uh, been an interesting uh, uh, opportunity to talk to you, and I sure appreciate uh, being able to uh, talk about our research. Yeah, well, it was very interesting to hear what you've been up to. Peace Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening!